You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. Our guest today is Robert Lund. He is co-founder at Studio TBD. We're going to talk about the world of cannabis. We're going to talk about marketing. We're going to talk about really kind of what it takes to run and build a cannabis brand, a cannabis business. Obviously, a lot of things happening in the world of cannabis right now. A couple of new markets uh, sort of coming online or, or trying to come online, getting things passed in terms of regulations on the East Coast here with New York and New Jersey. Obviously, continued development of some of the other markets that have been strong over the years. And I think one of the big things that we're realizing is as the market develops, as the industry develops, the importance of brands, the importance of being able to actually look at consumer segments and address them with different products and services and really speak to them and their needs and and what they want to hear and how they're using cannabis and integrating cannabis in their lifestyle. So I'm excited for this conversation. Robert is a marketer, a creative by background, and I think that's really an important kind of next phase for cannabis is really thinking about those aspects of product development and brand development. So with all that, Robert, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you on. Before we dig into Studio TBD and and what you're doing right now in cannabis, would love to get a little bit of background. How do you get into, I guess, how do you get into marketing? How did you get into cannabis? Give us the story. Absolutely. So um, I actually grew up in Sweden, in Northern Europe, and I uh, sort of stumbled into marketing in my late 20s, I would say. I was one of those who did not enjoy school, even though I had a sort of an easy time learning stuff and it just didn't really fit me. So I, I didn't want to go to university. I didn't enjoy work. So it, it just felt that I was somewhere where I shouldn't be basically. And um, what happened was that after sort of trying on a lot of different things, a really good friend of mine said, you strike me as a creative person and uh, you should probably be in the creative industry. And I was like, because, you know, Sweden is is still like, a, it's a socialist country. And the culture in Sweden is very, it's very flat, I would say, among people. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's important that you don't stand out. It's really important that you don't <laughs> think that you are something. So like, mm-hmm. even, even sort of having the audacity to think that you're creative is sort of, it's like a little bit frowned upon. <laughs> yeah, but countercultural. So, so was, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So it was a little bit like that had never sort of crossed my mind. And then when I sort of, he, my, my really good friend, Patrick, he helped me get into uh, a communication school that was uh, basically designed to create advertising creatives. And all of a sudden, things just started to click for me. And uh, I got recruited uh, by one of the, basically the best European agency 
back then they're still very high up and uh, after just years I dropped out jumped on there and it just took off and the reason was first of all that I was in my right element I am a creative person and mm -hmm. um, the people around me were amazing they were really 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 talented and really good at what they were doing and, and the agency just was super successful so um, we were lucky enough me and and some other of the sort of younger crowd there to do some things that were considered groundbreaking globally and offers started coming in from america so 10 years ago i i left for new york and i've been in in new york ever since yeah. so that's sort of how it got going and i i worked for the first five years here at some of the more prominent agencies stateside i uh, realized yeah. that the american creative industry was not for me for various reasons but interesting mostly long story short is that you know when you rise in levels with seniority in time, you become less and less of a creative and less and yeah. less of a builder and more and more of a politician. And I'm a terrible yeah. politician. So <laughs> so, <laughs> so that that was that. And then five years ago I, I decided to to leave it all behind and, and become an entrepreneur instead. Yeah. And and how was that? I mean, give me a little bit of like what what did you what was good about that move? What was maybe not so good about that move? What was surprising? What did you anticipate? The move to America or the move into entrepreneurship? Yeah, both. <laughs> <laughs> well, the move to America, I feel uh, it was quite painful. It's a completely different culture. Corporate America is extremely different from uh, from Northern Europe. All of Europe, probably, but more so Northern Europe. In, in Sweden, if you are working at a prominent agency, the client usually expect you to solve their problem with any means necessary. Okay. Whereas in America, if you work at an advertising agency, your client expects you to do advertising, even if that might not be the best thing to solve their problem. Yeah. yeah. Because America is bigger, it's more siloed, there's more expert in niches. So, so when I basically, one big problem was when I was trying to, to do what I considered my job, I was involuntarily stepping on people's toes. Yeah. So that was one issue. The other issue is, is language. In, in Northern Europe, where we pride ourselves to be really good at English, but just because you know the words doesn't mean that you can speak the language. But it's it's quite <laughs> <laughs> it's quite weird because we think we can, but uh, in Sweden we we basically use language to get on the same page. So there's uh -huh. a lot of repetition. We 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 retire word words a lot. Uh, we don't use thousands of synonyms because it's all about getting on the same page. That's what verbal communication is used for in Sweden. Mm -hmm. In America, verbal communication is used almost as a weapon or a game. Yeah. <laughs> combative. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's combative. Domination. Yeah. Domination. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and you can you can sort of get stabbed in the back as a Northern European in America without even realizing it. You know? Yeah. And and everyone else in the meeting was like, oof, that was painful. And you're like, what? Was it? You know? <laughs> so I think it went well. So yeah. That's culture yeah. clash. Yeah, exactly. But com yeah, classic culture clash. I had uh, I I did some agency work and and worked for Icon Media Lab in the in the late nineties, early two thousands, and yeah, saw that firsthand. I spent a lot of time in in Stockholm with the agency there, and oh, wow. I, I I get that. <laughs> I actually get that yeah. very fundamentally. Yeah, you know, so. yeah, yeah. It's 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 funny, and uh, yeah. and, and it, it's so because if, if I hadn't spoken a word of English and I had to learn it over here, like that would have been way easy because then uh -huh. we would learn yeah. how to use the sounds. But just because we use sort of like we know how to use and how to understand the different sounds, you sort of you trick yourself into believing that you know what you're doing, you're talking, yeah. and you're basically not. 
Yeah. yeah. So so that was that was funny. But you know, after five years, it took a while. It took like three years to really get the groove. And then two years after the two years after that was like, all right, I know what I'm doing now. I'm not stepping into stupidity, etc. But uh, those two years also taught me that this is not the place for me. That's when I jumped. Yeah. And, and in terms of coming an entrepreneur, yeah. So talk about it. when you became an entrepreneur. I, mean, I always find it fascinating when people go from kind of kind of the the agency side to you know to be sort of the client side, right? Either that you're going to work for a, a startup or you're founding a startup or you're kind of going that side. Like, what were the things that were kind of transferable, and what were the things that were kind of rude awakenings for you as you got into that space? Hmm, that's a great question. I think what was transferable was the problem solving that you know, and that sort of. As a creative and as a trained creative, I mean, I spent 10 years in that industry, like working really hard with some really clever people and really tough problems. Um, so that sort of problem solving skill, having the ability to just see every, every new situation as a new situation and not be, not being a dogmatic thinker. I think that's, that's a little bit of a superpower. And I would say, uh, the flip side of that is probably that the over belief or the overconfidence in marketing and brand and how much that will solve because it doesn't it, it is extremely powerful but it doesn't uh, it doesn't solve supply line issues for example it doesn't yeah. sound financial immediate issues for example so so that was the steep learning curve but that I, I sort of I jumped into that with open eyes I knew that this was going to be a tight learning curve yeah. I knew that 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 was going to be problematic, but I um I've always done that. I've always just jumped into things. I'm like I have to learn as I go, and yeah. uh, that's the only way. So, you know, I, I think there's a lot to talk about and what you can what you can actually learn. But yeah, I, I started a skincare brand first called Herb Essentials together with uh -huh. a creative consultancy that was a little bit more geared towards CEOs than C CMOs. So I did some some work with that. Realized that. The market is not really ready for a business-first creative yeah. agency, at least back down. I don't know how it is now. Yeah. Uh, skincare brand took off, got funding, etc. Funny in retrospect is that we our strategy was very, very unlike all other competition, basically, because our strategy was to um, really win in independent brick and mortar because that was the, the cheapest, most efficient way to break through. And it was going really well until, you know, February of 2020, when that strategy that was really successful turned out to be the worst strategy that you can imagine with the lockdowns. Yeah. So 2020 was definitely a tough year, but I think I learned more in 2020 than I, I would ever do. And then, so the, the 2020 was just like packing up that company, turning it back into a side project. It's still going, but as a side project. And in January 2021, I got introduced to uh, Victor, my business partner, who is an ex-hedge fund trader, who had this cannabis idea that I just loved. And, uh, you know, and now we're here. Yeah. So tell me about your background with cannabis otherwise, and then tell me about this idea and then why this kind of was it for you, like why this became kind of the thing you wanted to do next. I'm curious about how that intersection of things. Hmm. So I've been a user of the plant since I was like 14, 15. Mm-hmm. Also, what's important to know is that in Sweden, cannabis is still extremely legal. It's basically yeah. as illegal as LSD or heroin or cocaine, yeah. which is incredibly legal in Sweden. Uh, the cops actually go after uh, end users. So cops can go into reggae concerts, pull people out, test them. And if, they're, if they've used cannabis, they'll basically get either a ticket or a fellow. So it's extremely illegal, which means that the quality of... Uh, of the plant that that gets sold in Sweden is obviously very low 
consultants in geographical placement. I think it's changed over the last years, but when I was when I was a kid and growing up, that was definitely the case. So when I moved to New York, I then started smoking American marijuana. I was like, what the hell is going on? Like this this is a, this is different, you know. And uh I had, you know, I had sort of over the first few years, I smoked a little bit, started smoking more and more, started feeling like, oh, this is not really good for me. Like, what's going on? So I, I actually started experimenting with uh, mixing uh, the weed I got from my very premium professional drug dealer here with CBD weed. So I took basically a nugget yeah. of THC weed and just mixed yeah. it with, with, with a bigger nugget of CBD weed. And, and all of a sudden, I'm like, yeah, this is way better. I love this. So Interesting. those sort of joints became popular among my friends group so when i went to parties i had to bring like six or seven joints so because everybody wanted to <laughs> you're the man smoke yeah, yeah they're like, oh that you you have the robert joints don't <laughs> they don't make me crazy and weird yeah i can exactly. be social and high like can yeah. I please have one so so i i did that for years and and like i said the herb essentials mm-hmm. is a cannabis infused skincare brand because i knew i wanted to get into the cannabis industry but i felt in 2015 when i was when we were starting out that you know what? It's too early for me. And I don't want to move to California. I want to stay in New York. So it became a skincare brand with CBD and hemp. So, and at the same time, I was smoking these Robert Jones. And um, what's, what's funny is that in 21, when I got introduced to Victor, he started selling me on this product that he had, which was basically a, a THC CBD ratio product. And he started talking and I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, just let me stop you there. Like, I love this too. <laughs> I also think that this is actually where cannabis should go when it turns a mainstream. So we had the same thesis before we met and we had come to the conclusion in different ways. I mean, he had been making gummies and he had been, you know, he has a numbers brain and, and my, my brain is more creative. So is it? he had come to the same conclusion as me through his numbers brain and also market tested different kind of edibles that he was basically making himself. And he knew exactly what ratios that people actually loved the most. And they basically were very close to what my joints were, even though were, my joints were way less scientific. So it just felt correct from the beginning. And, you know, his background versus my background seems like a way better fit than like teaming up with another creative, for example. So there was a lot of things that felt like they aligned. And so it just felt like this was an opportunity that I could have let just slide by. So we just jumped into it, basically. Yeah. Interesting. We're going to take a quick break to hear some words from our sponsors. And now back to our program. And so I guess, tell, tell me a little bit about where you started, how things have played out. What, what was the beginning part of the company like? Mm, so we had the product. We knew that we wanted to make uh, iced tea lemonades that are now in the market, in the California licensed market. Where mm-hmm. you can find them at Green Goddess in Venice. They're called TBD. That's the brand. And it's obviously... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a wordplay where you basically smash together THC, CBD, and it becomes TBD. So that's the brand. So we we have, uh, that took a long time to obviously perfect them. And um, but we knew that we wanted two ratios to begin with. So we have a mellow that we call mellow. It's four milligrams of THC and 25 milligrams of CBD per serving. Okay. And then we have a high that is 10 milligrams of THC and 20 milligrams of CBD. And uh, I'm sure your listeners are, are pretty well aware in this, but basically how it works is that 
they feed off of each other, these two compounds. So the THC actually boosts the CBD if you, if you mm-hmm. ingest it together. And the CBD also curbs the side effect of THC at the same time. So the effect is that you get, you get a very relaxing high with no drowsiness. And it's very anti-anxiety as well. So for anyone mm-hmm. with, that are prone to some of those side effects uh, of cannabis, of the super strong THC, weed that you can buy in all dispensaries now, yep. um, our products are basically made for those people. And we believe that that's the mainstream. We believe that that's going to be the future where the bulk of the consumers are going to be. Yeah. So that was the first product that we made. And then during the summer of 22, we also launched our hemp-derived edibles that have the exact same ratios. They're strawberry gummies, super delicious, nano-emulsions, so they're fast-acting. You start feeling it within 20, 25 minutes. And we have launched those online because they are federally compliant because they all come in under the 0.3 THC level that uh, constitutes the federal legal limit. Uh So we can ship them to 35 states and we are currently in around 90 stores here in New York and New Jersey. And we are (laughs) just about to move into other states as well. Texas, for example. Yep. And how, how how does this play into your sort of strategy in terms of as the markets change, as some of these states open up with license rec, as federal policy changes, like uh, give me a sense of where you're kind of positioning yourselves and where you hope to be as the landscape changes? I mean, that's, that's a million dollar question, isn't it? <laughs> um, <laughs> our approach is that we want to be where the c- customers are without breaking the law. So... Mm-hmm. That's why it, it's quite complex. So so the, the drink, for example, they are inside the California licensed loop. So it's a licensed uh, agriculture, licensed processing, manufacturing, distribution, and retail, right? Whereas the hemp derived, at least that would, as the law stands right now, are completely legal and, and can be sold and completely to carry in all over America, completely legal to be sold in 35 states. And we can ship them online to 35 states. They are legal in New York. New York have made the Delta 8 and Delta 10 illegal, but Delta Uh 9 hemp-derived is still uh, unregulated. So so that's where we are. Still gray zone right now. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, New Jersey, for example, they have said that uh, they're not going to impose any state laws uh, above the federal. And then who knows what that's going to happen with the federal regulation, right? But right now, those are the rules, and we are staying within the rules in as many places as possible. But for example, we're also we're developing right now actually the same type of gummy for the New Jersey licensed market as well that's okay. going to be cannabis infused. Yeah. So we want the product to have this as much as possible, at least the same the same uh, effects and the same feeling. It's obviously a bit of a difference between drinks and edibles. We can yeah. get into that in a bit if you want, but but we want it to be the same. We want the brand to feel the same and. We look at the regulations as like, that's that's our video game, right? We have to be compliant, but we can be compliant in a lot of different ways. And that's what we aim to do. Yeah. Yeah. To me, it feels like almost navigating these various kind of laws and regulations and policy, federal and state levels is, is almost like a, a business capability. <laughs> like the, those people that can figure <laughs> that out and do that well and manage it and keep on top of it and, you know, play sort of as close to the line as you can get without taking on unnecessary risk and then and then managing that line as it changes is is almost like a, a whole part of the business strategy. Yes. I, I would I yeah. would say that that's a, that's very well put. That's that's exactly the way that we view it. 
Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about brand and then we can talk about product and, and format and we can get into sort of edibles and drinks and stuff like that. Uh, I'm curious on the brand side. I just I find that so much of the cannabis industry over the last year or two has been grappling with this challenge of how do you build brands? And, you know, for so many other markets, it's I don't, I don't know if it's easier, but it's a little more straightforward. And with cannabis, you have all these regulations. You've got all of this, you know, state by state issue. You've got a very arm's length connection to your end consumers. How have you kind of navigated or what's been your strategy around building a brand? What have been some of the challenges? How have you navigated that challenges? Give, give me your take on branding and cannabis and, and you know, if you can sort of compare and contrast to other industries and why it's harder or easier. Mm, I mean, I think this is, a, is an issue that is not really understood at all at least from what I see in writing, yeah. you know, in news and stuff. And what you have to remember here is that there is no cannabis market. Like, it, there's no legacy market that is above, yeah. that is above ground, to speak of, really. That changes the approach to branding fundamentally. And I did, I have to say, I did not understand this until I started grappling with it. So when we, we knew that our strategy for TVD or for the product itself before it was named, was that we want to go after the mainstream market. And I'm not talking about the mainstream market that our users today, who were users two years ago when we started, but the future mainstream market. Okay, so that's a conundrum in itself, because if you're a brand builder, you have never gotten that brief before from any client. Because a client that goes to a brand strategist to brand developer, they always have a brief that is, well, the big players in the in the um, industry that we want to break into are this brand and this brand and this brand. Yeah. I would like you to make a more premium or less premium or value or more mm -hmm. luxury or whatever version of this. Like all the fancy words aside, that is basically what all branding is. Mm -hmm. If you move into, um, and also those legacy brands, let's say American Express, American Airlines, Budweiser, Jack Daniels, whatever, right? All those brands, that, that wasn't like a brand agency that built those. Those were, first of all, they were products. And they were products that got so successful that the brand became huge. And uh, that's usually how it works. And almost any industry that you walk into that is not completely new, that's how you operate. You have to have a sort of let's call it a, a balance towards the mainstream brands in that industry. In the cannabis industry, there is no mainstream brand mm -hmm. because the mainstream market hasn't really been opened. So that was a really weird conundrum. It's like, okay, how do you build a mainstream brand? Well, to do that, there's probably more answers than what we have, but our answers became, well, you have to do with the culture. And um, what we saw, if you, if you look at how the plant has changed, which is like an insane thing. If you think about it, but very few people talk about is that the plant in the 70s had around 5 to 7% THC and, yeah. and usually also 5 to 7% CBD in the same plant. And because of, you know, prohibition, basically, the plant's THC potency has gone up with around 700% since then. Mm -hmm. And the CBD content has dropped to zero. So because we reintroduced CBD and also actually pulled it way up, uh, we had a new product that we believe is a mainstream product. So now we needed a mainstream brand. And um, you have to be able to educate and you have to be able to storytell and you have to be able to have some sort of foundation in some sort of culture. 
And culturally, cannabis has, at least since the 90s, been stuck in rap music, attitude, that kind of vibe, right? A lot. So I'm not saying all cannabis, but that is what the world has sort of viewed it. It's very, very yeah. tightly connected to that cultural part of the of the world. And at the same time, because of the potency in the plant, the culture has also become like, let's get as stoned as possible. Right. <laughs> so yeah. and, and our product is not that. We want a product that makes you high, obviously, but in a way that you can function socially. So uh, we needed to get away from that culture. And uh, so we have decided to base our product and our brand in in safe and fun, which okay. is a completely different thing. Because when I was pretty inspired when I started thinking about this and very inspired by what happened in, you know, in the in the sixties and seventies, summer of love, all that. Like it was peace, love, and understanding. It was about being together and have a good time. It wasn't yep. about let's smoke ourselves into space. It was about being together and <laughs> yeah, connecting. Being, it was participatory culture. So, yeah. uh, and you know, we're not going to revive the, the 60s and 70s because if you look at trends, like that has already been done a bit too many times maybe. But I saw that, well, we're probably going to see ourselves sort of diving into the 80s again. So when I talked to my designers, I basically said that, well, we're going to have a very simplistic name. It's going to be called TBD. And I want the branding, the aesthetics part of the branding, which is a big part, to be rooted in impactfulness and fun. And I think the 80s is coming back. So let's go there. So that's why our brand colors are pink and turquoise. So sort of like Miami Vice. And yeah. uh, our, our branding is really is really impactful. And we, we have been sponsoring some like disco parties and all that stuff. So, so we want people to be onboarded into the future of cannabis through having a good time, basically, mm -hmm. to simplify it a lot. Yeah. It would have been some of the challenges. I mean, as you kind of been working through the industry, building the business, like where, where have you had to really kind of apply effort and creativity to kind of figure out some of these problems that might be insightful for folks? That's a good question. I mean, it's, it's a still, it's still a very young industry. I think that there are a lot of improvements to be made in terms of manufacturing, in terms of logistics, in terms of yeah. getting that to a more professional level. It has been hard to find the right, the right partners, but we've made a good, a pretty good job at that. So, so mm -hmm. we are good. But we see a lot of we see a lot of issues in the industry that that we have been able to avoid. I think that also flour is really hard, especially in the in the license business, yeah. which is also the only part of the business that you actually sell flour. Um, <laughs> so, you know, because the shelf life of flour is super, super short, and it's, it's, it's hard with all the extra taxes and distribution hindrance and everything. So that's one of the reasons that we decided to go all infused. Um, <laughs> it's easier. So I would say that we have been good at avoiding things that are problematic from a structural standpoint, from yeah. a category standpoint. I think that Another challenge when it comes to brand is that the, the industry is all over the place. There's things that look like luxury, but it's priced as value. There's there's things that look like value, but it's priced as luxury. And like, there's no, there's no, there, there are no real rules, which is both an opportunity, but it, it's easy, it's easy to get lost. So, so sort of what we did was that I basically stopped looking at other cannabis. I'm like, there's no point in looking at it because it's, it's a mess. It's, it's chaos. So we have to like, look at the world instead. So that, that might be a, a bit of a 
small piece of advice. Like, do not try to position your cannabis brand in balance with other cannabis brands because that is really hard because they're all over the place. Yeah, yeah, you're you're trying to organize a very disorganized kind of market and situation. Yeah, yeah. and it, yeah. it's really easy that you get misunderstood if if you yeah. try to do that. Yeah. Uh, it's excellent. Robert, this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, more about Studio TBD, what's the best way to get that information? Well, so our web store that ships to 35 states, you can find that at tbd-products.com. That's the easiest way to get in touch with the brand. We also have a slightly more corporate website, I would say, that is uh, studio-tbd.io, where you also can read about our NFT program. We're very active in the Web3 and NFT space as well. So yeah. that that's probably its, its own episode. But, yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> but, but you can check it out there. But but the, the online store is, is a good way. And so tbd-products.com. That's great. I'll make sure that the links are in the show notes so people can get that. Robert, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Yeah, thank you. It's been a pleasure. It's all mine. That's it for this episode of Thinking Outside the Bud. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our future episodes. See you next time. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets and access other great content. Visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter.